Isaiah chapter 32 this evening, when our king reigns, that's, I think, one of the lessons that comes out of this section. Uh, These last four chapters before we get to this uh, historical section coming up in chapter 36, um, they're pretty, pretty hard reading for us. We have the king this evening. In chapter 32, chapter 33, Jerusalem being delivered. In next session, we get the global judgment and the kingdom to come. And then we go into this uh, brief sort of parentheses that talks about the Assyrians besieging Jerusalem. And, of course, the Lord dealing with them. And then King Hezekiah. And then we go to the second part of the book of of Isaiah, which is radically different, I think, uh, in a good way. Reading... What this man had to say, you kind of get, you know, you look forward to meeting him one day. You don't get the impression, at least I don't, that he was a guy that walked around moping. Had good reason to. Who doesn't? Uh, Just a man full of knowledge. uh, He occupied himself with learning things, with being sensitive to the Spirit of God. And it is no wonder that King Hezekiah... Uh, just was uh, so endeared to him, sort of a relationship between King Hezekiah and Isaiah that David had with Nathan. And you just love that when two uh, powerful characters in, in God uh, are, are together like uh, in, in this companionship that they had. Well, Isaiah sees Jerusalem ruled by the Messiah one day, not in his lifetime, But he sees it coming. And there is a world system, and it is more wicked than we know. I'm doing that right now. The internet has greatly helped this. But God knows how wicked it is. And God's victory over Assyria is sort of a dress rehearsal of his victory over the whole world system under Antichrist that is to come. And so we have this microcosm, this little uh, experience that we're watching that is going to happen on a grand scale. You think about the, you know, the imported smoke that we have now from Canada. How much smoke we're getting from a fire there. Uh, Imagine if almost all the forests were on fire at the same time. Well, in a tribulation period, things like that are going to be happening and so when he talks about the smoke blocking out the sun, not uh, far-fetched at all. Well, we leave the discussion of Assyria and Egypt just for a moment. We'll, we'll come back to Assyria, of course. Uh, and this future, the foretelling we're getting from this prophet, uh, isn't, that, isn't it true that once you become a Christian, the future to you is, is not what it used to be? And uh, that's how it is with Isaiah, uh, just telling about what God's going to do. So let, let's look at verse 1, Isaiah 32. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. Oh, yeah? When? When? And see, he's, he's looking way down the telescope, or he's looking in the telescope that's seeing far away, of course. Uh, he's speaking of the messianic kingdom. That millennial age, you know, we get excited talking about the rapture. Well, he knew nothing about the rapture, but he knew about the coming of Christ, the Messiah. 
And he, he couldn't help himself. It shows up in almost every chapter. And then he pours it on after, and once we get to chapter 40. The princes are uh, those of any rank or class that are in authority. Uh, and the princes will rule with justice. will be in that number. The apostles were told by Jesus Christ that um, they would rule the world in Judah. Uh, they would also rule. I, I should I just read it to you because I hit a scripture bump there. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 30. And it says, That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There'll be enforcement in those days. And Isaiah sees this. He's, he sees it long before you know, we get it developed in the New Testament even further. In Revelation uh, 1, John says, He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. We will be part of this government that Isaiah is talking about that's going to put an end to human rule. But what is really interesting about this first verse, he says, Behold a king. In, verse, in chapter 33, in verse 17, he's going to mention the king. But then in chapter 33, in verse 22, he's going to say our king. It's just progression as the prophet is laying it out. I don't know if he recognized that he was doing this or not. We recognize it because the Holy Spirit points it out. He's the author and finisher of all that we hold so special in Scripture. And so what we get out of this, it's not enough to say that Jesus Christ is a king, it's not enough to say that he is the king. You have to say he's my king. There has to be a personal connection. And here it is in the Old Testament. There must be a confession of faith and that assurance that he is the ruler. And so, again, the title for this evening's consideration is when our king reigns. Well, that happens in stages. He reigns in our hearts as individuals, but he will reign over the earth, that day is coming. And I think what is significant about this as a Christian is this is something to point out to an unbeliever. If you get a chance to share Christ with them, share that progression. You know that it's one thing to, to hear of Christ. It's another thing to admire Christ. But is he your Savior and Lord? Because he can't be one without the other. He, he can, well, he can be your, he is Lord, God over all creation in that sense. But uh, when we talk about Lord and Savior, we're talking about our submission to his lordship as well as his saving our soul from the judgment to come. Like Nathaniel in the New Testament, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. See, that confession was what the Ethiopian meant. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. There's so much packed into that that it doesn't have to be said if you, under, if you understand doctrine. You know that's what that statement means. Unless you're Jehovah Witnesses and you spend a lot of time trying to undo what the statement means. Well, it didn't mean that. He really wasn't worshipful. That's heresy. Anyway, our relation to this king sets the course for our eternal destiny beyond Israel's destiny. The time comes when God makes a new heaven and a new earth and we'll be part of that. And uh, the, the former heavens and earth will pass away. That goes beyond the the millennial reign of Christ. Well, now, verse 32, let's see if we can make up some time here. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest, 
as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And so he's using these metaphors, this imagery. He's known to do that. And he's saying people will be protective of each other. Although in the millennial reign, there won't be much need. There won't be the threats that anywhere near what we have now. Uh, he will close out the 33rd chapter where there won't be any sickness in that millennial kingdom. And he'll develop, he'll come back to that as in the latter chapters as he, he rolls through his prophecies. And we learn about life in the kingdom age and how different it will be. Uh, but when he says a man will be as a hiding place from the wind, well, you know, you, you, the, people won't be a problem. You, in the millennial kingdom, it won't be just the people. It's always the people. Here in this life, it's exactly like that. It's like, oh, man, are there going to be humans there? Uh, but it, it, certainly I'm ex exaggerating a little bit because you can't live without people, not unless you want to go nuts. <clears throat> but you just... just we're all tied in together. No man is an island. And if he becomes one, he becomes a nut. Well, anyway, uh, this, um, just imagine in the kingdom age driving somewhere. And you won't have, it will like, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> it will be no one cutting you off. Everyone's turn signal fluid will be filled. And <laughs> anyway, I think of uh, Philemon when Paul wrote him a very personal letter. He's saying, yeah, your slave ripped you off, but he became a slave of Christ. Now what are you going to do? That's that, that is Philemon, the letter. And Philemon is like, oh, man, the culture we live in, he's mine. He's my property. And Paul says, we have great joy and consolation in your love. He's just laying it on Philemon. He's just sitting the standard higher and higher. He says, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Well, that's what Isaiah is saying. A man is going to be a shield for others. We won't be, have this, you know, pecking and, you know, infighting and judging everyone. Uh, you know, anyway, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. And so... Uh, everything will be better. Psalm 121, verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Well, this is before HVAC in an arid land. And shade was the best you were going to get, usually, as you could find a cool spring somewhere to dive in. But uh, it was a big deal. Abraham, you know, when the, when the guests came, Abraham was sitting in the shade when the three... Uh, strangers uh, showed up um, who did not remain strangers to him. Anyway, verse 3, the eyes of those who see will not be dim and the ears of those who hear will listen. Well, the audience is loving this. Isaiah's audience, they, they didn't have what we have scripture-wise. This is deep stuff coming from a, a, a prophet of God. And he's saying the day is going to come. There'll be no blindness or death, spiritually or physical. It's going to be gone. How else would they know? They, they got a lot of things wrong guessing about God. We had 400 years in Egypt and they got it wrong. And so God sent the prophets. And he gradually, he just sort of a time-release fertilizer, you know. It just, time, just, just 
feeding over a period of time nutrients into its surroundings. Um, you, you find a, someone come to Christ and they want to know up everything right away. Uh, does, that doesn't work well. That's why Paul said, don't appoint a novice. Unless he gets puffed up, Satan get hold of him, you got a problem. Uh, you have to, maturity, there's no replacement for time in the grade. You, you, it, it, it takes time on the vine to develop. Um, I'll tell you about my raspberry and strawberry bushes. It took everything I had to not eat them while they were green. It's just like, I, these are mine. Yeah, but you, you have to wait. Anyway, uh, coming back to this, verse 4. Also, the, the heart of the rash will understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. Ah, uh, the rash people, those who just go with the emotions. <laughs> they don't think through anything. They're impetuous all the time. And it can just be a heavy drain on something. Uh, I mean, it might be fun at a party. Just don't give them the matches. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, this must have stuck out in his head, too, because he said the heart of people who are impetuous like that and really don't know what's going on, they're, gonna, they're not going to be wild like this anymore. Uh, it's it's going to be a new age, not the new age. They don't own that statement, incidentally. Those people who teach the, you know, the age of Aquarius, the new age coming in, and you know, the man is evolving to this divine state, they don't own the phrase new age. None of the cults own any of the phrases that I like. I take it back from them, and that's one of them. There's a, there is a new age coming. It's called the, the, the Messianic Kingdom. This is a wicked age that we live in under the under the curse with Satan loose as he is. And no question, I think, uh, that Isaiah suffered from people who were ignorant and double talkers in Jerusalem, a lot of them. And he's saying the day's going to come and we won't have that. We won't have these type of people in government. We won't have these type of people supporting people who are, uh, are, don't need to be supported and empowered in the kingdom. And so uh, uh, people will understand God's word and they will be able to articulate it. They won't stammer through it. Uh, the gospel message is a very easy thing to communicate. Where it gets tricky is when people begin asking questions about other things concerning the word of God, about the end times, about human nature, why is there suffering, and, and then, it, then it, it requires a little more depth. But on the surface, the gospel story it is a very simple message, and you do not need to go to a seminary to understand it. You just need to be a witness to it personally. Verse 5, the foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser said to be bountiful. That word foolish in the Hebrew is Nabal. Remember, Abigail's husband Nabal was the fool, and she said, rightly is his name. He is a fool. I live with this guy. So... Uh, you could say, uh, in, in, without trying to be crass, the stupid person. Or, it's all built into that one word, the one that's up to no good. That is built into that word. Despicable people will no longer be fawned over as celebrities, as we see today. You say, are you kidding me? That guy is a billion, a millionaire? I mean, you know, he's got, it just, it, it's just crazy. It's so... And you got a brain surge. It's not making anywhere near what some of these entertainers of me are getting. 
And so the wicked will no longer be good at winning elections and re-elections. Malachi 3, verse 15. So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God to go free. And so it's upside down. Gangsters and immoral athletes are, are often idolized. This is, I've seen this uh, uh, advertisement pop up where they're, they're glorifying the mafia. <laughs> the, the people that bring drugs in and, and prostitution and extortion. Well, I mean, they will insure your facility. Uh, that's called extortion. They'll walk up and say, you got a nice place here. Wouldn't want to see it burned down. So to keep it from burning down, how about you pay me $2,000 a month or whatever the going rate is? That's extortion. Uh, so who would want to glorify somebody? Imagine someone knocking on your door saying, hey, I like your car. If you want to keep it, you'll have to pay me $1,000 a month. Well, anyway, uh, you, you know, we talk about the global evil. Uh, why? How? How come all of these corporations are on this narrative? How did that happen? They're all like they got a, had a big meeting together in a stadium, which they did not. They didn't have to, because there's a, there are single sources pulling the strings. There are these mega investment firms, uh, you know, like BlackRock and Vanguard. They have more money than you can shake a stick at. Uh, I mean, you know, posting $12 trillion in assets, not counting all the corporations that they own in other, other categories. Follow the money. They hold the power. They can make life very, they don't care if a company goes under or not. They believe, they, and this is on record, they're one of the CEOs, the last name is Fink, is on record saying you have to force people to conform. When did, when did an investment banker become God? And so you look at the stuff that's happening, and you say, Some, something's happening while these companies are bowing down. Even though they don't believe it, they know it's bad for business, they're doing things anyway. Because there are people with a tremendous amount of money. Uh, BlackRock, for example, they, they, all, they are the ones that control the investments for all the state pensions in California and New York. You know how much money that alone is? I don't. Maybe, maybe you Google it after service. I don't want to know. I know it's a lot. It's enough to know these people have so much power. And, uh, you know, the Christians shouldn't say, I want to be like Warren Buffett. How about, you know, I want to be like Jesus Christ. I want to be Christ-like in his righteousness, not his essence. I, I will not ever be God, but I can be righteous. And, and the day is coming when I will be. It just can't happen here. I haven't said this in a while, but could you imagine if you were a Christian that could get it all right? You would probably be the most self-righteous, judgmental Christian, and that alone would make it all wrong. So, because by nature, we're sinners. Anyway, um, there, things that are happening, they are demonic. They're not spontaneous. They are deliberate. Uh, they are, there are real-world powers uh, that um, are going to 
make it very easy for Antichrist to gain the power that he will have. He, he, will, he will do even more with it than what is happening now. With the riots that we were watching, you know, who was, how are these things getting organized and, and funded? Well, it wasn't one guy named George funding all these things, controlling all these. He's actually a pretty small player when you put him next to these investment firms that want to force people to conform to their idea of society. And why, by, what they mean by that is if you don't play by our rules, you're fired. And if you don't play by our rules, you will starve. Well, where does that come up in the Bible? Well, you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. It's a controlling element. And what our role is to say, well, you know, yeah, the world is on fire, in, in, in an, an invisible fire, when there is a such thing. Uh, race car drivers are exposed to that. Anyway, coming back to this, verse 6. For the foolish person will, be, will speak foolishness, and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against Yahweh, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. Who are these people? Well, I just told you about them. They don't care about the little people. They, they, we're going to do what keeps them in power. Verse 7. Also, the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks, uh, speaks justice. So, it, today, it's the middle class that's the problem to the, the power forces. And you get rid of the middle class, just have an upper and a lower, and, and they'll be ha very happy with that. And you, you know, you can look at the corn laws in England, uh, I don't know, 200 years ago or so, how the, you know, they couldn't, the people couldn't get corn because they wouldn't let them import it because the people, just the craziness for money, never mind the suffering that uh, was, was taking place and the, the, the good men that fought those diabolical laws. Isaiah is saying that, you know, in his day, there were people with their schemes, their opportunistic plans, uh, his, the current conditions he's back to now. He's, not, he's talking about He's, he's saying, in the millennial age, we're not going to have this stuff. This kind of stuff will stop. Corrupt people will not get away with their corruption. They'll be intercepted early on, and their wickedness dealt with. Crime will not be worth it in the millennial age. Now, human nature is such, of course, if it is allowed to get away with wrong, it just gets stronger. It's like the Borg it just gobbles up more and gets stronger. At the, the further. So look at the guy on the, the Asian airline last week, I think it was. He opens the door in flight. Well, they were coming down. You know, they, were, they were making the approach to landing so they, he could pull this off, no pun intended. And he opens the door. And he says, well, I was uncomfortable. You see, in life, he didn't get the beating he needed at the right time. And it just kept getting dumber and dumber. Well, wicked people get w more wicked and more wicked because someone didn't check them. And, and Isaiah said, you know, I'm fed up with this kind of stuff too. And if you don't hold them accountable, uh, you're going to have evil and thus the world. Well, in the millennial age, we're going to rule with a rod of iron. Uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, when someone's at the workplace and they decide they're going to steal something and you better not tell well, those days will be gone. You will tell, and they will be dealt with. Anyway, verse 8, 
But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. And so here's the contrast. Isaiah, always the, 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 the pastor is trying to always keep everything in perspective. is not an easy thing to do because there's just so many moving parts to life. But uh, here he just, you know, reminds his congregation that there are righteous people. And uh, they are not the same in the same category. Verse 9, rise up, you women who are at ease. Not, not here. We're reading the verse. It's not me saying it. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. So he does not bypass the socialites of Judah. He calls them out too. Uh, because their carelessness and their complacency, spiritually speaking, uh, was a problem. It uh, took a lot to support them as they went about their parties and dress. He talked about this in earlier chapters. I, I don't know, I think it was chapter 5 or maybe 3, the, the mincing as they walk and jingling around. And just these, uh, just very, we have them today, of course, uh, they're, on so, they're everywhere on social media, but they had a lot of power because these were women who were married to men who were in power. And there certainly is an influence there. Uh, it, 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 they were behind the scenes. And the men, they loved having those who would cheer them on in their iniquity, that evil influence. Uh, no woman should think that she is insignificant, maybe to the wicked, but uh, she has a role just like every, like, just like the men, is what you do with it. Of course, today, femininity is looked down upon. The women want to be one of the guys, and the drugs are helping them do that. And so we, we have some very large problems. Now we have uh, the rot, the social rot, where... You have women using profanity like old-time sailors. And it's just, it's, just it's, not, it's not good for a society. Well, maybe I'll come back to some, some of this. Uh, anyway, um, he's rebuking the wives and the corrupt princes at the same time. Amos, who was dealing in the north, he was, he, the north was gone at the time. Isaiah is writing these things more than likely. Amos had earlier writ, written... Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. <laughs> That's politically <laughs> incorrect. Today, you can imagine going on the view and, and saying, listen to me, you cows of the view. <laughs> who are on the mountain of Samaria. He's calling them animals. He's saying, I like animals. You're not even, you know, there's nothing nice about you. Uh, who oppress the poor. There it is. Who crush the needy who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. You see, it's his connection. there's a connection there between the, the rotten male princes and, or, or politicians of the day of Isaiah and the women behind them. Now, of course, I'm sure there was an exception here and there. There always is, in a good sense in this way, but they were the minority. And this is why God was rebuking the government so sternly in earlier chapters for going off to Egypt, because that's where their heart was, well, their heart was not with God. And so here, are these, these women are at the top of the food chain. And the men, their wives benefited from the evil that they doled out. This is like being the wife of a mob boss. 
Amos 6, again, woe to you who are at ease in Zion. Now, Amos is a prophet to the north, but he turns his attention to the southern kingdom when he mentions Zion. And so he's saying, and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. And so he's saying, you know, you government people are just rotten, male and females alike. And that's, these are the complacent women that he is addressing. He's going to, he's telling them, your complacency and your self-confidence is going to go away as, as Assyria gets closer and closer. And you've put false hope in these false prophets, the ones that have told the prophets to stop preaching. We don't want to hear this. Don't rebuke us. Uh, tell us nice things. They were more concerned with the ease of life than the loss of Israel's spirituality. And so Peter, when he comes along, of course, Peter's just a pastor moving around, preaching wherever he goes. And he's coming into Gentile society where uh, the culture was drastically different from his beloved Jewish society in in many ways. And so he says, and even the Jewish women, he had had to be in check. uh, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. That's all he has to say to get the women to say, yeah, let me think about this a little bit, that I do not have the right to just do whatever I want. Uh, because I can afford to. Uh, I, I need to think about, you know, how is this going to impact my surrounding? It changes from place to place. Um, you know, you go, you go to, I don't know about now, but years ago, Calvary Chapel in, in uh, Lahana in, on Maui, they, they met just a few feet from the beach. <laughs> and uh, people would be in church, and after church, they were going to surf. So they would be in church in swimming suits, or, you know, pretty much. Well, that was not inappropriate. But you couldn't do that in Manhattan. You could show up, you know, like in a T-shirt, and you know. It's like, what are you doing? Get out of here. Anyway, uh, why is a serpent harmless as as doves? Uh, One of the prolific causes of Judah's disaster was the degradation of womanhood, which always weakens men because the men have allowed it and uh you know it just is you, you can't point the finger at they're both guilty is, is where i'm going um women have an ability to restrain evil in men through righteousness well two examples abigail she restrained righteous david from going on you know uh, this bloodletting adventure and then there was esther so, yeah, don't tell me that, uh, to God, women are second class, because they're not. They're just uh, uh, equal in value, but different in assignment. Uh, not 100%. You certainly, sometimes the wife drives, the husband drives. Verse 10. That's a shame you got to even qualify all this nowadays. Verse 10. In a year and some days you will be troubled, your complacent women, for the vintage will fail, the gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease, be troubled, you complacent ones. Strip yourselves, make yourselves bare. Gird sackcloth on your waist. Snap out of it. Interstate trucking is going to stop. There's going to be an interruption in the supply chain. Life's going to get very nasty pretty soon when these armies showing up. He's not only talking to the the elite of Jerusalem, he's talking to the elite of Judah, 
the nation, the kingdom. His, his preachings in, in print would be circulated. Verse, 30, verse 12, people shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruit, fruitful vine. Verse 13, on the land of my people will come up thorns and briars, yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city. And so he's saying when these Assyrians come, they're going to strip the land of its of whatever food it has to offer, whatever materials they need. You won't the farmers will not be able to go out and till the land and remove the briars because the Assyrian armies are going to just take over, invade the land. And and it did happen like that. Uh, even though they they did not get to Jerusalem. And so the first evidence of the judgment that would come would be the, the harvest. When the armies show up, they would, um, they would begin to strip down the, the supply chain. You, you go to the market looking for those nice grapes and pomegranates, and there'd be nothing there. The Assyrians would be eating them. And before long, you wouldn't be prancing around as a socialite because of how you treated God. So, anyway, verse 14, because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and the towers will become lairs forever, uh, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. And he's talking again about Judah, not Jerusalem, because Jerusalem survives, but the uh, many of the others did not. Uh, the, 2 Kings 18, and in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. I think it was like 48 of them, of the bigger cities. Not to mention all the little villages. That the, I mean, you got troops, this many troops coming in. Uh, they're going to get to eat, and they're going to take from the people in the land. Uh, you, some of you know your Civil War history. You know what Sherman did in his march to the sea? He just looted the land to support his army. He had, he had but, uh, companies assigned to go out and get food. And uh, the, the Southerners would be hiding their, you know, their food and their valuables, and, and they knew how to find it after a while. They figured it out. What a terrible, terrible way to live for both sides. Anyway... He says forever here. Well, that Hebrew word really does not have the same force as our word forever. Our word forever means without end. But this Hebrew word is better understood as long term. And here's this. We've got to know this about the Bible. This is a nice thing. Jeremiah uses the identical word when he says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. It's the same Hebrew word for old. He uses it as old, well, the translators. And that's accurate. And so he, it, it means that the long time paths, uh, it will become uh, just this place for wild donkeys for a very long time. That's the idea. So I think the, the translators... Just got that one wrong, and, and, you know, it's a hard job they have, no question. So, I like little things like that, and there are a lot of them in the Bible, and it takes a lot of time to find just one or two of them. You say, how many am I missing? And it doesn't change the strength of the meanings, uh, uh, the overall meaning. It, it does zero in a little bit more closely to what is actually going on if someone were to come up and say, 
Well, those cities weren't forever shot. I mean, some of them are rebuilt. And you say, well, yeah, well, Isaiah never said they'd be forever. The translators did. Verse 15, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is counted as a forest, then, verse 16, justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Verse 17, the work of righteousness will be peace, the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And you know when the children go to sleep, uh, that's righteous, and the effect is quietness. <laughs> and my mom, you know, she told me once, they, they had company come over, she said, would you like to go to a party? I was real small. And, yeah, I'd love to go. Whose party is it? She said, Lily White's party. And I got upstairs, and it was Lily White sheets. <laughs> she was putting me to bed. <laughs> And I, I turned around to the people that were gathering, the adults, and I said, so long, suckers, because I thought I was going upstairs to a party, and, and it was the sheets. So anyway, mom with a sense of humor. I'm sure I rocked myself to sleep with, I don't like my mommy, because I would do that. Anyhow, coming back to this, my people will dwell in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. So the restoration, the change is coming. Justice will stand. Uh, the prophets spoke about the outpouring of the Spirit. Joel, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Uh, this was uh, something that they loved. The Jewish, the righteous Jews hearing about the, the coming indwelling of the Holy Spirit on their, on their nation. Isaiah had a lot of reason to mope. He had a lot of reason to be a righteous man. Uh, you know, Solomon says this in the Song of Songs in chapter 2, verse 2. Like a lily among thorns is my beloved. Well, that's what the Lord says to the church. Whose fault is it that a church is not what it should be? Revelation chapter 2 and 3 tell us it's the church's fault. The church that is aberrant or apostate, cannot blame anybody else but themselves. They cannot say, well, the news media made me do it, the universities, the seminaries, uh, you know, they, they, it's, righteousness is about the people. And uh, Isaiah, living in the times that he lived in, he saw the majority of wickedness amongst people who claimed to be the people of God, and he never let it drag him. We have no evidence of it dragging him down. Could you imagine? Who'd want to hear from him? He goes up to the pulpit moping all the Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're doomed as doomed can be. In the 17th verse, he says, The work of righteousness will be peace. Well, peace is a fruit of righteousness uh, because the turbulence comes from unrighteousness. Imagine if you didn't have to have locks and keys and weapons and things like that. Uh, yeah, verse 19. Though hail comes down from the forest and the city is brought low in humiliation. <laughs> you know, when, I, when I'm prepping for this, many times in these harder chapters of Isaiah, it's going to change again and get later. To, it, it, it becomes, it is a forced march. It is one foot and step in front of the other, and don't faint. Don't pass out. 
just make it to the finish line. And then I come up to the pulpit, and it's like the lights turn on. It all comes to life. It all comes together. And it is uh, probably that way with you if you get to tell your children Bible stories. You know, you open up, maybe you're not in the mood, and you open up and you want to tell them the story of, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. Kidding. (laughs) That's really not not your first choice. But it, it comes to life. And that is the Spirit of God indwelling in us that does that. And that's okay, because the flesh is the one that has to be beat down. And it is beat down by being addressed or ignored. You Sometimes you have to let it just die of, from neglect or, or resisted from neglect or resisted from action. It's not, you have to resist it, but you're not going to kill it. So when James says, resist the devil and he shall flee, what a perfect choice in our English language. Because that's the best we can do to the devil is resist him. We cannot execute him. One of the many complaints we have about this life. Verse 20. Blessed are you who sow beside all waters, who send out freely the, f- the feet of the oxen and the donkey. Uh, so there's going to be just this freedom. Hosea chapter 10. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your follow ground. For it is time to seek Yahweh. Till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Now Hosea is... Hosea was a little bit older than Isaiah, uh, but in the northern kingdom gone. But what a, that's what we tell our f- flesh. Sow righteousness. Reap mercy. Break up the ground that needs to get the seed. When Jesus said some of the seed fell by the, the, the wayside, that's the ground that was not follow. It, it has to be broken up if that seed's going to get in there. Isaiah 33 now. Now we come back to the Assyrian aggression, verse 1. Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered, and you who deal treacherously, though they have not dealt treacherously with you. When you cease plundering, you will be plundered. When you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. Yeah, because their power is going to be zapped. The Babylonians will, will do that to them. This is the sixth of of. Six woes given by Isaiah, beginning in chapter 28. The first one was to the, the drunkards, the arrogant drunkards of Ephraim. Big difference between someone struggling with an addiction versus the arrogant one struggling with an addiction. The, then the second woe was to Jerusalem, to Ariel. You were supposed to be the lion, the place where sacrifice to God took place. But you became something else. Uh, then the woe to those who were making plans without Yahweh for deliverance, God's people. It was okay for the godless people to do it, the idolaters. But those who claimed Yahweh doing it, that is unacceptable. The fourth woe came to Judah's politicians. And uh, now we have Sennacherib coming, uh, is going to get be judged at, at this point. Um, And we've got a little bit to say about him because he was treacherous. In unbelief, righteous king Hezekiah tried to buy his way out of the Assyrian army coming. There were two invasions by the the Assyrians about 15 years apart. Not exact, but they're about. And uh, the first time, Isaiah just stripped the temple, just paid, just leave us alone, Here's, here's the money. And they made a covenant with Hezekiah. Well... 
Hezekiah broke the covenant, the agreement, and he invaded Judah anyway in, in time. He was a thief and a traitor and a tyrant, and God is promising to deal with him, to judge him for that. Uh, he destroyed others, and so he would be destroyed. He would, God is not mocked. The sinner will reap what they have sown in, 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 what they have sown in unrighteousness, they will reap in judgment. The righteous are forgiven. Uh, and and it's, it's a really a fair deal when you think about it. Not to God, to us. It's not a fair deal. It's a great deal. Anyway, uh, the destroyers will be destroyed for his treachery. Um, king, king Hezekiah, a good king, made a foolish call. And uh, God was so merciful to him. And he appreciated that mercy. He did not, it was not wasted on him. Uh, when we get to Isaiah 37, uh, that parentheses in Isaiah, we read, Now it came to pass as he, Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, was worshipping in the house of Nishrach, his god, that his sons struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, and then his other son um, became king. So that's how it's going to go for him. Well, Isaiah is calling it before it happens. He's saying the Assyrian king will be dealt with. Who? I mean, that's fantastic. Who can do that? Well, someone that's filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 2, O Yahweh, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. So here's this outburst of intercession and, and a, an appeal to God, uh, interceding for the people and himself when the Assyrian army Arrived And God's response was, I am going to spare Jerusalem, but I'm going to use them to judge you because I, this idolatry has got to be dealt with. Uh, so he says, we have waited for you. And the righteous suffered during that waiting period, incidentally, but, and remained righteous. Um, and the wicked, of course, they opted to go to Egypt for help and attempted to silence the prophets. Verse 3, at the noise of the tumult, the people shall flee when you lift yourself up. The nations shall be scattered, verse 4, and your plunder shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar and the running to and fro of locusts, he shall run upon them. Well, I guess he was into insects a little bit too. He's a lot of things, nature, he's a lot of things that he brings up in his writings, flowers and things like, like Solomon, and it's admirable of him. Well, uh, this part of the prophecy looks beyond, actually, Assyria, but it, it's, it, it includes them, the Lord's protection over Israel. A similar thing will take, had taken place with Elijah the prophet. This is the problem Gideon had. Gideon, Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, which is a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, he said, you know, if... Where's the God of our fathers? How come the, 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 our fathers had miracles, but I'm hiding in this wine press threshing wheat? I should be up on a high place threshing wheat, but I got to hide. Where's the blessings? And the angel never answers him, old man of valor. Uh, so um, thinking about doing Gideon Sunday, uh, I don't know. But anyway, coming back to this, uh, the when Isaiah 
In his day, the angel of the Lord comes, wipes out 186,000 of the Assyrian troops. Well, before that, in the northern kingdom, under Elisha the prophet, the, uh, the Assyrians surrounded Samaria. And the four lepers, they were, they were listening. There's a siege going on. We're starving to death. We're going to die either from starvation or they're going to kill us when we go ask for food. Or they're going to give us food. So they decided, let's go ask the, the enemy for food. And so in the middle of the night, these four lepers are trekking through, uh, you know, the, the area. Uh, and it's a hilly area. The, the Samaria was a natural fortification, and that's one of the reasons why. And the Assyrians, they hear this clunking. It's amplified in their heads. They think it's the, the Israelite army coming at night and doing a night mission on them. And instead of, you know, fortifying the line, they panic and they run. And it was dinner time. So lepers show up, hungry and leprous. And what's a leper to do? They gorged. So they became fatter lepers, and they just ate the food, and they realized this is just not right. we got to go tell the people that are starving. Which I would have said if I was one of the people, okay, you found the food. Which one did you touch? <laughs> Wouldn't you like, did you touch that pear? Because if you did, I'm not eating it. All right. Anyway, I'm the only one that can envision these things, I guess. I'm, maybe you get it. Anyway, anyway, anyway. God is able to deliver his people. It's a wonderful story. It's a venture of faith. But here's the thing about a venture of faith. You can step out in faith and get slammed around pretty good. Uh, so it's not something to be trifled with. It's not like, well, the lepers, remember what the lepers did? And you go do it and you find out, oh man, this was a bad idea. Uh, don't go blaming God. Take your wounds, learn your lessons, and keep moving forward. That's the response. Others have gone, stepped out and been shattered. I trusted God. And look what happened. Well, what are you going to do now? You're going to come out. You're going to, you know, you, you're going to lose your faith. You're going to lose your God because it didn't turn out the way you wanted to. You better fight that resentment, that, that flesh rearing its ugly face. Verse five: The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Now he's not talking about his lifetime. He's moving forward. He, he weaves in and out, and you got to keep up with him. Verse six: Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times, and the strength of salvation, the fear of Yahweh, is his treasure. Uh, spoken as if already fulfilled. If he was preaching this, these kind of things, how would the people know when he's shifting gears? Content is one. Tone might be another. His tone may shift. So when you get to the Song of Solomon, which I think was a play uh, also, a song part of the play, uh, we don't have a lot of the music that went along with it. or you just you, It's very difficult to sort out, okay, who's speaking now? But it is possible. And uh, uh, so anyway, verse 7. Surely their valiant ones shall cry outside. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. Verse 8. The highways lie waste. The traveling man ceases. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He regards no man. And so now he's, he's coming back to Assyria. He's talking about Sennacherib. Your Bibles might have the pronouns 
he, the pronoun he, capitalized, indicating that this is Yahweh that is being spoken of. But in the Hebrew, it's not that way. Uh, I, it's, there's some debate amongst good Bible teachers. I, I think that um, the, the proper understanding is Isaiah is talking about Sennacherib. He is the one that has shut down interstate travel with his army. So when you look at it again, he has broken the covenant. Well, God didn't break the covenant, but Sennacherib broke it with Hezekiah. He has despised the cities. Well, he's conquering these cities. As I read from Kings, he's conquering these you know, fortified cities. He regards no man. Uh, I think it fits best to say that this is uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, no, sorry, not, he's not even born yet. Uh, Sennacherib, it fits best on, on him. If you were to say this is God, well, you could, but I think it would be you, in, in the back of your mind, you would you would be saying to yourself, this doesn't fit. Again, back to Song of Solomon. You know, you, you say to yourself, if this is a love song, why does he show up with his harem? See, it's kind of like, like, wait a minute. The, the beloved can't be Solomon. That's the shepherd. And the Shulamite is the one Solomon wants to take as his wife. But she doesn't want him. She wants the shepherd. And she hangs tough the whole time. And that's the glory of the story. And uh, it probably was um, based on, at least, Abishag. Maybe Solomon, well, who knows where he got his idea. <laughs> He's a really smart guy, and even though spiritually he was dumb. But uh, when, with, with his, he got too smart for his own good. He felt that he could use politics to make Judah super strong. Anyway, verse 9. Did I complete my thought with that on Solomon? The, the, the thought was, the, the point was, things have to make sense to draw a conclusion. And when you go through the Bible, if it doesn't make sense, you're either missing something, or you are missing something, uh, more than likely. And in the Song of Solomon, as I used to read it, I said, but this doesn't fit. Solomon can't be the lover. It's just not right. And most modern, almost all the modern Bible scholars say, no, that Solomon is the lover. And uh, uh, the older ones don't. I go with the old timers on that one. The old timers don't get it all right, but they get a lot of stuff right. Uh, sometimes I go back to, to Matthew Poole, who was a Puritan. Some of the other guys don't want to, they want to skip a verse. I'm like, oh, Matthew Poole or, answer, or Matthew Henry. If you want to read 50 pages to get to one sentence of a point, Matthew Henry's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> Even Vernon McGee said he's one of the most boring of all, but, but he's deep. He's, he's worth it. Anyway, verse 9. The earth mourns and languishes. Lebanon is ashamed and shriveled. Uh, and shriveled. Sharon is like the wilderness. Bashan and Carmel shake off her fruits. Well, Bashan, those cows, you know, that famous reference. They were known for their cattle. Carmel, not Carmel by the sea. Mount Carmel, not there. This is in southern Israel, south of, of Jerusalem. Sharon, by the Mediterranean Sea. Verdant, you know, just fruitful. But uh, because of the Assyrians, everything was all messed up. Verse 10. Um, now I will rise, says Yahweh. Now I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself. And so now he's going to intervene. The prophet sees this coming. You shall conceive chaff. Which is very, you know, kind of, 
it's creative writing. You shall bring forth stubble, your, your breath is fire, shall devour you, verse 12, and the people shall be like the burning of lime, like thorns cut, they shall be burned in the fire. Well, that happened to their army. He is talking about the swift destruction of the Assyrians, that their plans will amount to nothing. It will be a thorough thrashing, uh, a rout of the entire army. Verse 13 uh, here you uh, here, you who are afar off, what I have done, and you who are near acknowledge my might. Now that's what the preacher should say. Verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire. Who among us, who among us is the question, who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? And so now he calls for conviction. He's warning them things are not going to go the way you think. The hypocrite is going to be convicted, going to have an opportunity to fix it or not. Peter said, but there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Unfortunately, many Christians just gobble them up. Uh, they just gobble it up. Anyway, verse five, 15, he who walks righteously and speaks unrightly, he who despises the grain and of oppressions, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed, and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Now he makes this contrast of the righteous man who, I don't want to hear more about this violence and stuff. I, I don't want to hear anymore. Stop, you know, he's kind of like, shut that off. <laughs> shut the, the news off or something. He, he cannot stomach evil. Getting away with evil, bribes, I don't want that. So this is a, New Testament says it this way. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, are of good report, meditate on these things. Because those other things will just suck you down. It's, it's harder to pull up someone than it is to pull them down. Well, God never said that he didn't promise us a rose garden. Uh, it, it's, it is a struggle, but it's worth it. And so, verse 15, the, the righteous man, he, he, he gestures with his hands, he refuses the bribe, he stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed, he shuts his eyes from seeing evil. If he can't do anything about it, he's not going to wallow in it. Verse 16, I, I love that verse. Uh, verse 16, he will dwell on high, his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. So God delivered and God governed. Verse 17, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. Well, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 18, your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe? Where is he who weighs, where is he who counts towers? You see, this is why the Bible is so hard to understand sometimes for us, right? Like, what is that? Well, to meditate on the terrorists, to, to, it's a memory. You, you, yeah, I remember when. Uh, and so the, the Isaiah is saying, there's going to come a time where these things are going to just be a past memory. It may not, he's not being literal. He's just saying they're going to end. The government clerks, where is the scribe? The... Where is he who weighs the national accountants? 
Where is he who counts the towers, the military commanders? It's very poetic. In his question-answer format, as, as Paul adopted, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this age? So Isaiah is saying the day is going to come where there will not be this need for military and accounting. Everything is going to be honorable and it's going to be radical, uh, radically different. Verse 19, you will not see a fierce people, a people of obscure speech, Beyond perception of stammering, a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. And so uh, the foreigners coming into your land, not going to happen. Verse 20, look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed nor will any of the cords be broken. This sounds like heaven to the Jews in those days. He's dead to like, can this possibly be? You know, the Bible tells us more about heaven by telling us what's not there than what is there. What is there is the throne of God, but what is not there is sorrow and tears, and that's what means so much to us. Well, verse 21, uh, but there the majestic... Uh, but there the majestic Lord will be for us, a place of broad rivers and streams, in which no galley with oars with sail or majestic ships pass by. So commercial shipping will be drastically decreased because they'll be self-sufficient. They won't need to import anything, and there won't be much need to export either. Verse 32, for, the, for Yahweh is our judge, Yahweh our lawgiver, Yahweh our king. He will save us. And there are the... the, the there's the king, our king now, moving from a king, the king, these authoritative titles of judge, lawgiver, and king. Verse 23, your tackle is loosed. They could not strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Then the prey of great plunder is divided. The lame take the prey. And so the animal that was being chased, Israel, by Assyria, ends up, with, ends up the winner. Uh, there, the Syrians ended up shipwrecked, is the idea. Verse 24, And the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. And that's the kingdom age, where Messiah is on earth, reigning Jesus Christ, the same one that was crucified, risen again, and no, no more, you know, I'm feeling a little sick today. It won't happen. Uh, but we'll be marrying mass because Fauci will have control over that. But no, that would be that would be a nightmare. Uh, let's pray. I know we might have gone late, but this is what graduate school is about. Our Father, Your Word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Just knowing that things in the Scripture that are difficult on the surface to understand, they do have a meaning, and they were very valuable to many people in, in the day of, of their origin. We thank you. We ask that you get us home safely in Jesus' name, amen.